Welcome to another episode of the Hockey News, and we're going to kick the show off with a guest this week, Stephen Ellis, formerly of the Hockey News, now of Daily Faceoff. How are you doing today, Stephen? I'm doing awesome. I'm at the Women's World Hockey Championship at the Sea Canada play Switzerland, so it's a good day. All right, well, that's going to be a fun tournament in its own right, but we're here to talk to you about the OHL Cup. So we decided to give you the ability to do our three stars for the week. And your first star for the week was Jake O'Brien of the Junior Canadians, champions of the OHL Cup. What was your take on his tournament? Well, he was the MVP, so hard to go wrong there. Uh, you know, he had one of the best uh, statistical performances that we've seen from the past decade. And uh, a guy that you know a lot of scouts have talked about beforehand, the way he can kind of dominate a shift with his speed, his strength. And uh, we saw him in that final, which not the world's greatest hockey game I've ever seen, but he was quite good there. And, uh, did kind of everything you're looking for. So he was my number one. Uh, my number two, if you want to go, I could go straight into it. Uh, Brady, Brady Martin, Waterloo Wolves. I don't know if anyone could stop talking about it at this point. Check out Ryan Kennedy's piece on it, by the way, on the hockeynews.com. Uh, my picture. Um, but uh, yeah, that was... Yes, Waterloo would have been a fun team to see play in the final, but they were a one-player team, and it was Brady Martin. He was just... He was so electric, so quick, winning face-offs, doing everything he needed, very good defensively. And another guy that probably isn't a lot of people's top threes, but someone that every time I watched him played well. And part of the reason why maybe not on everyone's top three is because he only played four games. But that was Shamar Moses of, of the Domino's Flyers. He was instrumental in bringing that team into the tournament from the from the wild card round, which was a pretty interesting day. And then he went out there and was just good from the start to finish. So again, a kind of another situation of kind of one guy carrying the team, but uh, I thought he looks good. And all three of those guys were the really standouts for me. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that about Martin. I, I caught the the playoff round, and I feel like he had a couple, well, probably more than a couple, two-minute-plus shifts. Like, he he just never really left the ice, and I know that Waterloo needed him to, to do that, and I feel like that was probably maybe their undoing, too, um, because he just kind of looked tired by the time the semis hit. Yeah, it, by, by then it was kind of like – the issue with the scheduling of these things is like, you know, I believe he had to play like the Marlboros and he had to play, I think it was Holton, I think in the same day, I might be wrong on that one, but it was like a couple of ones where it's just like, yeah, it's just not really fair. Uh, we got to play some tough teams and um, it's, it's not uncommon to see these guys on teams that are not GTHL teams go out there and it's one player kind of taking control. And that was what we, what just talking to scouts, the same thing. But I think enough scouts looked at that and said, well, he was quite good at it. And uh, there's a reason why Waterloo was as fun to watch as they were because he was just, he could take over uh, in a way that not many other guys could. Yeah. So I, I guess what we'll get into now is just an OHL cup wrap up with you. That was one of the main reasons we wanted you on today. So first question we have is, you know, who were the prospects that really did the best to increase their draft stock uh, with their performance at the event? Uh, well, to go back to Shamar Moses, for sure. Uh, one guy that I think is, um, just the way he works, his work ethic is fantastic. And the Domino's Flyers were, were not as good um, with him out there. Uh, I think Ethan Weir on London, as someone that a lot of people looked at last year, he's playing a year up. So uh, he's playing a rubric last year. We can kind of see how um, that combination works. But I thought Weir was probably the most consistent player on London. Um, kind of like the World Juniors, though, and all the other tournaments. It's like, this is just another portion of the season. But for guys who... Like in the Alliance, you're not playing the toughest teams all the time. Going out there and seeing uh, Ethan Weir stand up the way he did, um, I think was very good. And uh, another one, uh, Jack Ivankovich, uh, probably the best goalie in this draft. A guy that, talking to some scouts, talking to people, saying this is the best goalie prospect to come out of that tournament, out of this, out of the GTHL. And since, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know if any we can give a name. He's just that good of a player. He's quick. He's 
uh, scouts absolutely love him. Uh, but I think that he, again, showed that when the pressure's on, he can stand up to it. So him in the Mississauga Center is a guy that, to me, no question is a top 10 pick. And we don't typically see that in the, uh, in the OHL draft. Yeah, and I mean, his performance at the Canada Winter Games as well was just fantastic. We, we saw his performance, especially in, in that last game that was so riveting in the overtime periods. And um, yeah, I mean, he was great at the OHL Cup as well. So do you think he actually goes top 10, though? I see Niagara having two picks that high, you know, that's enticing. Like this is a guy that I think obviously goalies are a different breed, but I think if this is someone when we're looking at this in two years, he's the one of the best goalies in the OHL. So a team's gonna be willing to take that risk, you know. He's still not that big of a goalie. I believe he's only uh six one or six oh, so he's not a huge goalie. But I think like if he was able to build if he gets to six two, six three, well, we're talking about a guy who truly has the makings of a future NHL starting goalie. So um I don't think he's going to go high. We just don't see goalies get drafted that high. But to me, he's a top five prospect. Now, one guy you mentioned there in passing was Ryan Rubrik, who didn't have the best tournament, and people have been talking about his draft stock maybe falling a little bit. What's kind of your opinion on his stock falling, and do you think it actually matters that he had one bad tournament? So heading into this tournament, getting to see him mostly in tournament play this year, uh, I'll go back to the Whippy, um, the Whippy Silver Stick tournament where that really was concerning to me. He looked just disengaged. When he wants to, he could dominate. But the one kind of rapport I gave to Ryan Kennedy, actually, was like when he tries, there's probably not a better player in this draft class than Ryan Rubek. And to say he doesn't try, I think, is wrong. But it's someone who, just from effort base, we know he could do so much more. But there's games where he's out there floating. He's not uh, engaged physically. He's not rushing. He's kind of just being a standstill player. that happens a little too much this year. And that's what concerned me and a lot of others. But I think, again, just from the pure talent's perspective, he's got the size, he's got the strength, he can win face-offs, he can play both wings. He's kind of got everything you're looking for in someone who should be able to step up to the a, to the OHL quite effectively. Um, that being said, you know, it was a very, very underwhelming tournament for him. And, uh, you know, I think higher hopes for London, but he just couldn't do enough there to, to save that team. And we saw kind of what happened. So, uh, a lot of a lot of scouts were saying like still probably the number one heading in. I don't think anyone's saying that now, but I think that it would be wrong by teams to kind of look at this tournament and say, oh, he's not that great. Like I think he's going to still be a very good player. Um, but like for someone that when he's on his game, he plays a kind of like a Quinton Byfield did when he was uh, at this level, or just someone who could take over. So uh, it just I needed to see more of that, and we did. Um, conversely, you mentioned Brady Martin already. Do you think that he secured his place in the top three with his performance at the event? Absolutely. He's not the guy that I'd be picking number one, but I think he's probably number two at this point. And uh, I just, there's so much skill there. And you, when, when a guy does that so much for a team like that, then needed as much scoring help as possible. Like that, you, you can't ignore that. Um, I know you kind of already touched on this with, the fact that the, the actual championship was was a little bit underwhelming. Um, but were you kind of disappointed overall with how the playoff round sort of ended up happening um, with so many of the wildcard teams that are making, which is which is great, but so many of the top prospects for this OHL draft didn't end up going far in the tournament. So I, I look at it two ways. One, uh, I'm always a fan of this tournament. I, I care about the actual excitement, and I want the best two teams to be there, whether that's the teams with the best prospects or not. 
um, that's another thing. But I think after what we saw last year with the Mississauga Senators and Toronto Junior Canadians game, you got Misa and all those guys. And then you look back at 2019 and, and you go and yeah, it was Shane Wright versus uh, Adam Fantilli and all the talent in that game in particular was unbelievable. So it did feel like a total letdown, but I still had hope, you know, Vaughn was a cool story that I don't think got a lot of attention. You know, they had to fight their way through the wild card uh, round, which is hard to do. Mississauga did that last year, but that was kind of a more of a, we made a mistake in the playoffs more than we actually had to fight our way through. Like they were going to make the finals pretty much no matter what, they just need to go through the motions. But I think the Marlboros going out there and losing um, up to the Toronto young Nats in the first day, really kind of shake things up. That kind of, everyone kind of expected them to be able to roll through Halton and they were having to play for their lives on the second day of the tournament. Like that never happens for a top C team or one of the top C teams. So, um, yeah, would have liked a bit more of a competitive final. Um, junior Canadians were a, a good team, obviously one of the best teams in the GTHL, not a super prospecty one. Um, but I, the game itself was kind of rough. It was it was kind of like uh, there were there was actually a person sitting in front of me. I was in the media row, and there were people saying, uh, "Not a not a young kid, not an old kid, maybe a young teenager," and he was he fell asleep. Um, and uh, I can tell you, not a lot of scouts showed up for that game either. Um, I mean. To provide a little bit of context before we ask you this question, for those that don't know, the OHL Cup has always been free. Uh, it's free during the preliminary round. It's free for the championship. This year, there was a shift. There was a charge for admittance. And you and I sort of chatted about this uh, before uh, this interview took place. So I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Do you, do you think that was a smart decision uh, to have an admittance fee for the event? So I guess, yeah, for, for more context, it was just for the final, but um, I'll say, I don't know if I've seen, like, I was expecting a pretty poor crowd because of it. Um, that was a pretty full arena. So I was kind of, you know, I, at first I'm like, if the crowd was empty, if it was not very busy, uh, that's one thing. Uh, but there seemed to be quite a few uh, fans there. There were kids from other teams. That was cool. The guys from younger age groups. Um, not as full as what we've seen in the last couple of years, but there was so much hype. Like, oh my gosh, we might have these exceptional status kids. And like, that's, that's awesome. We didn't have that this year. So like the average fan maybe wasn't going to be there, but um, it's, I, I, I get it. You know, it's an expensive event. They got to make some money out of it, but uh, you know, paying to watch minor hockey has never made a ton of sense to me, especially given how much the, the players pay to be there in the first place. But uh, I guess when you look at the crowd, it didn't seem to deter people. Now let's kind of switch off to the from the OHL Cup to the OHL Draft. Uh, how do you see the top of this draft going? Do you have a, a, a rough top five mock, or do you have a couple guys that you think are going to go to certain teams in that top five? So before he committed to the ND, NTDP, it did look like William Moore was the favorite to go number one to Erie. You know, there's uh, I could say that his agent spent a lot of time around the Erie Otters. Uh, I can say that uh, you know he's good friends with Malcolm Spence. That would have made a lot of sense. They really like him, uh, but it didn't end up happening. Um, so he will be going to the NTDP. It will be interesting to see, though, if any teams decide to pick him up. Um, that'd be, uh, we'll see, like, like uh, I, th- I wouldn't be shocked if Erie, Kitchener, London, you know, the teams you'd kind of expect to go out there and pick up those guys um, would do, do that. But I'd say if I'm picking, Matthew Schaefer's number one. Matthew Schaefer is a dynamic two-way player, uh, a defenseman that sometimes I feel like probably should have played forward to begin with. Um, and a lot of the times you get with these guys who are these skilled defensemen, like even to a point Brant Clark, and we know how good he's playing obviously these days, but sometimes I just want these defensemen to just play defense. But with Matthew Schaefer, I don't think that's too much of a concern. He's just kind of, he, 
I think his smarts take over there. Um, and uh oh, music's coming on here. Um, but uh, I, I think Schaefer's number one. I'm going to Brady Martin number two. Uh, Owen Griffin number three. Someone from New York, Simcoe, good numbers. Uh, Tyler Hopkins number four, and uh, Ryan Rubick number five. That'd be my top five. Um, I mean, the one rumored guy from from south of the border is uh, Hunter Brustavich's brother Henry, after not being named to the NDP. But is there anybody else that you're kind of hearing from the American crop that might be leaning towards the OHL? Maybe like a, a surprising name, or or maybe just a name that people should be aware of or people that people should know about that's a tough one this year because they're part of the thing about this these last couple of years is when you put the um the u.s national tournament so the nationals that are going on i hope you guys can't hear too much music here it is it is getting loud in here but um when you look at the these national tournaments the last couple of years being around the same time as the ohl cup you don't get to see a lot of these guys um so no really it's kind of tough to, to say there's anyone that really I don't know. Uh, it's it's just kind of we don't get exposed to that at this level anymore. I'd say maybe the one guy to keep an eye on is Cooper Dennis. Uh, I don't believe he committed to the NTDP, but that guy put up some unbelievable numbers in the the with Bishop Kearney this year, and I know a lot of people are watching him uh, this year closely. So he'd be one to keep an eye on. But I it just I think that. Americans were just seeing fewer and fewer quality ones kind of commit just because of the NTDP and then the, the quality of the USHL. Now, before we get you out of here, the music's coming on and everything, but let's get a quick OHL championship prediction. Who, who do you have in the final? Who do you have winning it all? Oh, man, I, see, I knew this question was coming, and I still was like, I don't know who I want to pick. Like, I, my preseason pick was the Ottawa 67s, and I don't want to get too far from there. But And Peterborough's looking really good right now, but obviously I don't know if I would be – Picking them and Kitchener going out there. I didn't think they'd be able to dominate Windsor. But the one that just, if they can get through this series, I'm, I'm going Barry. I just think, you know, you've got the best player in, in junior hockey right now, in the OHL, I should say. You've got Brent Clark outside of that one game suspension is absolutely dominant. To me, he'd be the MVP of the league. And he only played half the season, but it's just because of how good he's been and how much he's given that Barry uh, that life. So I think if they can get out of this first round series, I wouldn't want to mess with Barry. All right, Steve, we really appreciate it. And I won't have to ask you about the Red Tilson because you kind of gave us an answer in that in, in that answer as well. We really appreciate you doing this, man. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Thanks so much, guys. And we're back without Stephen Ellis this time. And we appreciate him for coming on the podcast. It's a good conversation about the OHL Cup. Brock, the one thing I want to ask you is because I know you watched a little bit more than I did. I just caught the final. What was kind of your takeaways from the tournament? Well, the first one would be in regards to Brady Martin, uh, he was a player that really stood out for me in, in the games that I watched. Just a, a really solid play driver. When I saw them play in the quarterfinals, he had just this amazing first shift, which really set the tone for Waterloo. And it was just his tenaciousness and his skill just really stood out. Um, and he had been really hyped up to me uh, from people that that I trust, that, that watch a lot of the U16 level. And I know Jordan had good things to say uh, about Brady Martin as well. And he didn't disappoint. I was really disappointed that Waterloo didn't make it to the final, to be honest. Um, so that was sort of the first thing. The second thing would just be sort of echoing Stephen's thoughts about the final itself. Um, a great story that Vaughn was able to go through the wildcard round. And after being eliminated in the first round of the GTHL playoffs, and then go through the wildcard round and then make the OHL Cup final. Yeah, great story, but it, it wasn't a great hockey game. Probably one of the most boring 
OHL Cup finals that I've seen. Um, it's kind of what I expected. Uh, I usually go to that event live, and I didn't this year because I wasn't incredibly psyched about the matchup. I know that sounds kind of sad, but it's the reality of it. And uh, congrats to the Junior Canadians, though. It, it was a great tournament for them. Um, they had some great individual performances, a great team performance, and that's a hard trophy to, to lift. And uh, so kudos to them. Yeah, and congrats out to the Junior Canadians. It's always a fun tournament. I I usually try to watch more of the tournament than I did this year. I, I definitely always catch the final. And, yeah, like you, like you said, like Steven said, that final was – just a, a game of hockey that wasn't that great at the end of the day. So let's kind of move on from that and get to the OHL playoffs. Let's start off by just running down the, the quick list of, of teams and where they stand for the, the there's each series. The London Knights are up 3-0 on the Owen Sound attack. Sarnia is up 3-0 on Guelph. Saginaw and Flint are playing to a 2-1 uh, thing, 2-1 series so far with Saginaw leading the way, and they play again tonight. So by the time you're listening to this, they'll either be tied 2-2 or Saginaw will be up 3-1. Ottawa's up 2-1 on Oshawa, which is a little bit of a surprise, I think. Uh, North Bay is up 2-1 on Mississauga. They also played tonight. Barry and Hamilton are tied 2-2. Uh, Peterborough is up 3-0 on Sudbury, and that could be the series that ends first if the Peterborough Peets are able to beat the Sudbury Wolves tonight. And I left out one series because the Windsor Spitfires, who we both said could lose if this Kitchener team gets it together, are currently down 3-0 to the Kitchener Rangers. Because they've gotten it together, something we talked about them trying to do all year. I didn't believe they'd do it. You'd believe they'd at least give Windsor a challenge. Well, now they're putting Windsor in a situation of, of being down 3 nothing and likely losing their first-round series despite being a top seed. Yeah. I, I mean, you and I talked about this prior to the episode taping tonight. I don't think any of those teams wanted to play Kitchener round one. London, Sarnia, Windsor. I mean, the, the Western Conference was completely wide open in that last week. The matchups were very wide open. And then this is the way that it ended up happening. And I'm sure Windsor was like, oh, no. Like, we're the ones that drew that short straw. Like, we're the ones that have to play Kitchener. Because you just knew that they were a better team on paper than their record showed this year. And they actually were pretty good in the second half. We've talked about that during this podcast run and yeah they put it all together and some of Windsor's inefficiencies have really come to light their goaltending has been great um their defense hasn't been great nothing has really worked well for Windsor to be honest there's no point going down a list here because just nothing has clicked um but never say never uh you had we've had some some 3-0 comebacks in recent years, uh, Guelph, before they won the OHL championship in 2019, they were down three love to London in the second round, ended up coming back to win and win the OHL championship. Uh, 2014, Peterborough, Kingston, round one. Kingston was up three love. Peterborough ended up coming back. So is it very difficult? Is it very rare? Yes. Is it completely Impossible? No, it's not, especially when you've got a team that's as experienced as Windsor with their long run last year. And I noticed the, the next team on the list of teams that have come back from the 3-0 was the Windsor Spitfires in 2010. They came back against the same Kitchener Rangers. So while there's no Taylor Hall or Ryan Ellis coming to save the day for this Windsor Spitfires team, they have guys on this team that are certainly capable of it. If Shane Wright goes off and decides to dominate, Matt Maggio wakes up and, and has a, a better playoff series than what he's had so far. 
this is a good Windsor team. They could do it. It's definitely going to be hard because this Kitchener team is loaded. But moving on from that series, is there another series that you're kind of shocked by or just a little bit surprised by? Yeah, I, I think Barry and Hamilton being tied at 2-2. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Grant Clark was kicked out of a game and missed a game. Uh, but I, I'm very impressed with the way that Hamilton's played. Um, they're they're not giving up, and they're battling Barry. Nick Lardis has had a really good series so far, and I think it's just continuing to raise his draft stock heading into June. So, yeah, I would say that one is probably – the other one that I'm kind of shocked about, maybe Saginaw Flint. Um, we're going to get into that a little bit, but uh, I thought based on the first two games anyway, where Saginaw completely blew out Flint, and then the last one we actually had a close game. So I do think that the first two maybe was more of an anomaly, and the last game was uh, a better indication of where that series is going to go in the future, but we'll see. Yeah, it was certainly an interesting series between Saginaw and Flint. That's probably the series I've watched most of because it's just been a fun series to watch. I think Saginaw's defensive game going up against that Flint offense has been really fun. The series that kind of shocked me a little bit was just Oshawa getting a single game against the Ottawa 67s. I thought that was going to be an easy four-game sweep. But let's get into some over-unders. I think we, we've got a few really fun ones here that you laid out for us. First one is, and I lowered the number on here after we originally put this out, but the Windsor Spitfires wins in round one. The current over-under we have set is 2.5. You going over or under? I'm going under. I do think that Windsor can and will win the next two games. Um, but this is this is going to be such a tall task. And I think that when you're trying to do something like this, the one thing that really needs to be awesome is your goaltending. And that has really been the Achilles heel for Windsor in this round so far. And I just don't know if they can get three games in, in a row, three games consecutively of really good goaltending in order to beat Kitchener. I think that they can do it twice. I, I think Kitchener is just rolling on all cylinders right now. And uh, I would I'll get, pretty confidently take the under there. What do you think, Tony? I'm going to go over just for confidence in my hometown. Uh, I think they push the game seven and ultimately lose. I think uh, at the end of the day, you're relying on a 17-year-old goalie as your leading guy. Matt Anusk has not really been able to kind of take the reins and, and run with it when they've given him the opportunity. So Joey Stans has been needing to do that. But at the end of the day, also, the Kitchener Rangers have Constantini in net, who has done this before. And I think that's the big thing. We talked about that last week when we talked about this series. And he could be the X factor, and he – I think is going to be the X factor. So purely as a homeboy, I'm going to go over on the 2.5, but still admit that there's going to be heartbreak at the end of the day for this series for everyone in Windsor here. Do you think that Windsor regrets not trying to upgrade their goaltending now at this point? I mean, yeah, okay, maybe they can win, come back and win this series and it doesn't matter. But if they end up losing this series and the goaltending ends up being the main reason why, do you think that there might be some regret that, okay, we maybe should have given Costanzo somebody a little bit more experience to play with? I certainly think that they, they're going to regret not upgrading and giving him a backup or, or, or just a guy that can kind of be that veteran presence that comes in if he falters. But at the end of the day, I think with everything they did, bring in Shane Wright, Brett Harrison, never, all these guys that they brought in, Dionicio, who was suspended, obviously, to start the series. But they brought all these guys in who have made a difference so far in the games they played in the regular season to have all of them not show up. 
that's a tough task when, when you're asking these guys to do that. So yes, I think you're, you're going to need that goaltending to be short up. And I, I bet you they wish they did it, but even if they did, you still need to score some goals and Windsor's not doing that right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean that I completely agree with you and who would it, who really would have been available for them to upgrade on anyway, right? The, the market itself for goaltending wasn't extremely strong. Yeah, exactly. It certainly wasn't a, uh, a wealthy market for goalies. So let's move on to the next, next over under. We've got Brant Clark, despite his one game suspension uh, over under for how many points he's going to have for the entire playoffs. We have it set at 40 and a half, which would, which would break an OHL record. If we go over, which was set by Chris Pronger in 1993. Do you think he goes over? Do you think he goes under? I think a lot of this is going to kind of be based on whether or not we think they're going to make it to the final. Yeah, I'm going to take the under, um, and that's only because I don't think Barry makes it to the final. Um, I think that they have a good chance of definitely make it to the Eastern Conference final, but I do still believe in North Bay being the team to beat um, in the Eastern Conference right now, maybe even Ottawa as well. And ultimately, if he's not in the OHL final, there's no way. I don't think he cracks that 40-point barrier. Still going to be an amazing playoffs for him. He's still playing out of his mind, but uh, I'm going to take the under. I'm going to take the under as well. I think at the end of the day, just the odds of them getting to the OH, the, the cup final is going to be hard. I think they certainly can, and if they do, I think he, he might challenge it. But 40 points in a playoff run is going to be really hard. You're going to need a couple of the series at least to go deep, go long. I mean, this Hamilton series might go seven games. Who knows? But you're going to need a couple to go six or seven games and, and, and then have big performances in the others if they don't go that far. So I think just on the basis of him not going to be able to get enough games in, I, I think he probably lands on there on this one. Imagine if he lands on 39 and that suspension uh, ends up being the reason that he doesn't break Chris Pronger's very, very long standing record. It would certainly be interesting, but that kind of brings us into that suspension. He got one game for that kneeing incident. And uh, I think there were a lot of people calling for more. Do you think he deserved more than one, or do you think uh, one is where he belonged? Because the over-under that we have set is that one and a half. Yeah, so when that knee happened, and I saw the video, and, and when I say this, I'm talking about before the actual suspension was announced. I kind of look back at the history of some of these kneeing suspensions, and the majority of them were in that sort of like two, three game range. There was a couple in that like five, six game range. But those ones were associated with greater injury um and as much as we like it or not the fact that Lawson shirt returned to the game definitely probably affected brand clark's length of his suspension um it, it that's the way it just seems to always work right i think he deserved a little more i thought it was a pretty dirty play i think that there wasn't really a way that you could prove that was accidental that was definitely, I think, something that was spur of the moment and and not intelligent, uh, reckless even. And I, I thought he was going to get two or three. Um, I didn't think it'd be more than that. We're talking about the playoffs here. Um, but I didn't think it would be one. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, I agree with you. I go over here because I, th I thought three games is what he'd get based on the fact that it wasn't even like a knee that you're like, oh, he leaned out a little bit. Uh, he stuck that leg and knee out there. He really just, like you said, there wasn't a way to defend it being accidental. I think that was the biggest thing. It was pretty blatant. Uh, it, it was just 
a dirty play. I love Brand Clark. I think he's a fantastic player. We both talked about him glowingly on the podcast. But there are these moments where sometimes he has these lapses of judgment. And this is one of those moments. And I think at the end of the day, he probably should have gotten three games. If this was the regular season, I could see it happening because it's the playoffs, like you mentioned as well. Ah, they, they always shorten the playoff suspensions at the end of the day. One game, one, two games in the regular seasons worth one game in the playoffs. That's kind of the way I look at this one, too. They probably wanted to give him two games, maybe even three. But because it's the playoffs, because it's Brant Clark at the end of the day as well, name value holds something as much as we don't want to admit it. The one game is probably where, where reasonably where it was going to settle in, and, and that's ultimately what happened. Yeah, and uh, something we haven't mentioned is he's a repeat offender. It's not like this was somebody who has never been suspended in the OHL before doing this. You can kind of give them the benefit of the doubt being like, well, you know, that was stupid, but it's not something they've done before. Well, you know, Brant's been suspended a few times in his OHL career for some reckless plays, and this was another one. So it was kind of like, okay, you're looking at a historical perspective of these types of hits and, and what they get. You're looking at a player who is a repeat offender. I just thought it would be maybe just a little bit more. I really thought like at least two. Like, because if you're giving him a two game suspension, you're still giving Barry a chance to come back and win that series if Hamilton is winning those games without Clark, right? And yeah. three would be like a bit of a death blow to Barry, right? You're kind of like, okay, like you're <laughs> the, the league has, has done you in, Barry. Like, yeah, it would be very difficult for them to, to win probably two out of the three of those games. They're probably losing two out of three of those without Clark. Exactly. If not, if not three, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Like, that does decide a playoff series, essentially. So let's move on to the next over-under we got. We got a few more, so let's fly through them. Number of round one sweeps. The over-under set at 2.5. I think there's four or five series currently sitting at a 3-0 uh, deficit. So what's your, what's your take? I'm going over. I'm going to take three. I'm going to say the only one that isn't a sweep is your beloved Spitfires. I'm also going to go over, I think, three as well. I think the Spitfires end up winning a game or two. But at the end of the day, I think Sarnia sweeps Guelph, London sweeps Owen Sound, and Peter Burrow probably beats Sudbury tonight, as much as I don't want to admit that because I do like the Wolves game this season. And we're going to pretend like you didn't pick Sudbury to win that series too, right? Yeah, we're just going to pretend I didn't uh, say that. <laughs> over under the number of round one game sevens we have it set at 0.5 there's only one series tied so far you think it gets there yeah i think we're gonna have one and i actually don't think it's gonna be barry and hamilton i think with brant clark coming back i think barry takes those next two games i actually still think it's gonna be saginaw and flint i think that that is the series that has the best chance of going seven and i do think i said that at the very beginning and it's something that i still believe in yeah, I'm going with over here. I think there's going to be two game, two series that do it. I think Barry Hamilton gets to seven just based on how well Hamilton's playing and, and Clark coming back. And, th- and I think Barry ultimately takes it. And then I think that Saginaw-Flint series, like you mentioned, goes seven games as well. Number of games played in the Flint-Saginaw series, we kind of already mentioned that. We have the over-under set at 5.5. I, I think we both safely say it's going to go seven. Yeah, uh, the over. And, and I hope so because, like you said, it's, it's been a really good series. Great to watch. Yeah, it really has been the battle of defense versus offense, and I think that's been the fun part about this first round. There's been a ton of really good series so far. It's going to be fun to kind of recap where everyone is going in the next week and, and likely p- picking out some round two matchups. Let's get to the 2023 draft prospect of the week, though. Funny enough, it's a Kitchener player. 
who is beating up on my Windsor Spitfires right now. And Tundra Pashevich, the guy, he's a guy that's pretty much consensus top 50 or right around it. Uh, he's got 57 points, 68 games, two points in two playoff or two points in two playoff games when we wrote this down. But this kid's been really fun to watch all year. Defenseman for the Kitchen Rangers. What's your base take? I think he's had a really good second half. And I think kind of quietly, right? I think he's had a good year in all around, right? It's it's been a very good year for Bristavich in the OHL in his first year in the league playing for Kitchener. But I think he's been really good in the second half, especially with Kitchener sort of having that little bit of a mini resurgence under Mike McKenzie. I think that the reason for that is sort of twofold. One, I think he's been better in, in the defensive end. I think that there's still some deficiencies there. I think a lot of it has to do with strength deficits, but I think he's been better defensively in the second half. And I also think that he has been more confident and aggressive in using his skating ability. Um, I would say like the first couple months of the year, I kind of saw him as an extremely mobile sort of four-way mover, but I was kind of curious about, you know, that linear quickness and how quick he could get up the ice to start the game in transition. Cause he was kind of the type of player who preferred a quick exit pass instead of using his feet to, to clear the zone. And I think that as the year has gone on, we've seen him grow in confidence in his ability to use his feet to avoid the forecheck, to, to start the breakout, so that he's added that extra layer to his game, right? Now, yes, he still makes that great exit pass, but he can use his feet to clear the zone too and, and start the breakout and, and get Kitchener moving in transition. And I think that that is something that points to maybe a bit of a better projection to the NHL than I originally thought. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the first half of the year, he was really struggling to just adjust to the OHL, I think. There was a lot of just mistimed plays. He he wasn't dealing with four checks as effectively. He wasn't using his skating ability to the best of its ability. A lot of times it was him trying to go end-to-end and rush the puck up ice and make an offensive chance for himself. And as the season went on, like you said, after that coaching change of Mike McKenzie coming in, you got him playing with his teammates a little bit more. You got him utilizing guys in the rush. If he was breaking out of the offensive zone, it wasn't always him trying to break into the or out of the defensive zone. It wasn't always him trying to make that controlled zone entry. He was making a pass in the neutral zone after drawing defenders to him. I think is dealing with four checks really, really improved. Yeah, just understanding what he can do as a skater in the OHL. He is a really, really good skater. And his first pass is really good too. I think it was weighing on him. I know I've heard from a few people that he wasn't able to kind of score his first goal for the first two months of the season or so. And I think he was focusing a lot on that, but it seemed like right around that time, the coaching change, he got his first goal, if I'm not mistaken. And that's when he started to open up and play a little bit more of a kind of controlled game. And I think that's what it, the reality of it was. This was a guy going out there and trying to be reckless with the pocket at times in the first half of the season, kind of reining it in, using his tools to his best ability and, and just kind of understanding what exactly he was. I think that's where he started to excel in the second half. And, yeah, like I think him being in the top 50 is pretty reasonable. I, I think I have him a little bit lower on my board, but right in that second-round range, I think is pretty reasonable for him. Yeah, I would agree with you completely. I think another thing to touch on is just how effective he is inside the offensive zone. Um, I think he's got just a, a great head for the game once the action is in the offensive end. He holds the, the blue line really, really well. He's got great anticipation, stops a lot of clears, makes a lot of really good pinches. Um, really understands how to use his feet to move laterally to avoid pressure, gets pucks on net. It's just a really effective in-zone offensive defender. Um, and I think that's something that can translate to the NHL level too. 
All right, Brock, where do you think he slots in at the NHL draft? Uh, give me a 10, 10 pick range. Uh, I would say somewhere between like 40 and 50, if I were to guess. I don't think he's a first round pick. I mean, maybe if, if Kitchener can continue to play as well as they have and he has a really deep playoff run as one of the team's top defenders, you know, maybe that moves him up a board or uh, into that first round range. But uh, I would say most confident with a prediction in that 40 to 50 range. Yeah, I have them in the same thing, 40 to 50, 45 to 55, somewhere right in there. That's kind of where I see him going because uh, he, while he is a point-of-game player, three points in three games in the playoffs, I just make sure I checked it for us to keep that up to date. But he is a guy that I think does have some defensive issues, is going to have to work on things, just getting stronger. So there is development ahead of him. He's not a guy that it looks like a surefire first-round pick. So right in that early to mid-second round seems about right for me. Now let's move on to the NHL team of the week, a team we didn't end up having get, get a, getting a chance to get to last week. The Philadelphia Flyers have got two prospects in the OHL, both in the Peter Oro Peets. Let's start off with JR and Avon. Peter Oro Peets forward, 29 goals, 31 assists for 60 points in 59 games this year. 28 penalty minutes, the plus 21. What do you kind of take about his game? He's probably the top prospect in the OHL this year. Yeah, speed, 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 more speed. I mean, Avon is one of the better players or better skaters in the OHL, one of the fastest players in the OHL, um, just an electric mover. And that's the first thing you really notice uh, about his game is how he can push pace. I think another sort of underrated component of his game is, is his shot and finishing ability. I think he's he's got a great wrist shot, really explodes off of his stick. He's not always getting himself into those positions to use it. Um but I do think that's something that can be developed even further as a weapon as he moves forward. I think that the big thing for him is I don't think he's necessarily skilled enough to be a top six guy at the NHL level. And in order to be a really effective bottom six player where he can use his speed, he's going to have to get stronger. I, I feel like he, he still loses too many battles along the wall, um, can get out-muscled in the cycle. When he's not given that sort of runway to use his speed, he can get bottled up. And I think that he's probably a guy that takes a couple of years at the pro level to, to beef up, to add strength, to gain confidence. And then we could be talking about him as a potential energy guy at the NHL level. Um, but I don't know if I necessarily see a higher upside than that. Yeah, I think you're right about the, the speed element of his game. It's obvious as soon as you watch his game. But the thing I was going to mention is the big difference between a guy that plays in the top six and the bottom six is being able to use your speed effectively with the puck on your stick. And I don't know if he's able to really do that at the end of the day. I think he ends up being, like you said, a bottom six energy guy, a guy that can penalty kill. I think is a guy that is going to end up being going to need to change his game up a little bit to, to play that bottom six role. He uses that speed effectively off the puck. Like you said, he doesn't always set himself up in the, the best offensive spots, but he's able to kind of fly by and, and, and get a shot on goal or, or kind of get into a spot and, and get that shot off. He does have a really good shot. I think his playmaking ability is perfectly fine, but in general, the offensive tools just quite aren't quite there, and, and that's what's, I think, going to hold him back. Can he be that bottom six guy? Probably, maybe. I, I think it's going to take some development. This is probably going to be one of those guys that pops in the NHL at 23 or 24, and everyone goes, oh, look at look at how effective this guy is. He scored 35 points in his rookie year. Like, wh what's the next step for him? And then there really isn't a next step for him. I think he's going to kind of be in that range if he gets to the NHL, being like a 35-point, 30-point bottom six guy that every once in a while flashes the, something with that speed because that speed is so tantalizing. 
where he makes one good play, rushes up the ice and snipes a, a shot or something. And you're going to go, where's more of that? Can we get more of that? And that's just not there at the end of the day. So I think there is an NHL future for him. How high in the lineup is, is really going to be the question. I think, like I said, he's going to need to change the game up a little bit to, to get there. Yeah, I think he needs to look at guys like Kasperi Kapanen or Jasper yeah. Fast and how they play and how they've been able to use their speed at the NHL level to be effective in that sort of bottom six. And if he's able to do that, yeah, for sure, he could definitely have an NHL future. All right, and the other NHL prospect is Brian Zanetti from the Beats as well. Five goals, seven assists for 12 points in 47 games for the defenseman. 27 penalty minutes, and he's a plus 19. I don't really see a ton of NHL upside in this game, but what, what do you kind of gauge him? Yeah, if you had asked me this question last year, I actually really liked his game in his first year in the OHL. And I've kind of been disappointed with his development this year in, in Peterborough. And I think some of that is based on the lack of ice time and responsibility he's gotten this year. He's kind of played down lower in the lineup. His role has kind of changed. He lost his spot on the first power play unit to Samuel Maie. And then when they brought in Gavin White from Hamilton, um, he lost his spot basically on the second power play unit. Now he's basically become more of like a PK guy for the Peets. And he's still playing a decent amount as like a number four or five guy um, who gets that PK time. He's still uh, a good forward mover. He's still got some offensive tools. But at the end of the day, are any of them high enough of a level to, to be an NHL defender? Uh, I'm not so certain. So I would agree with you there, Tony. Yeah, I think he's a perfectly fine OHL defender. I think one of the things that's always stuck with me is how many guys that come out of junior hockey that aren't scoring at, at at least a half point per game pace really make it to the NHL and be effective. And, and at the end of the day, he's just not doing it. And I think that just translates to that, what we talked about before. He doesn't need to necessarily be this offensive dynamo to be a, a good defenseman at the NHL level, but you need to show the tools and the, the base ability to make a first pass, make the, the right play in the offensive zone. And while he does that sometimes, it's just not as consistent enough to really even earn him a spot higher up in the lineup in Peterborough, who isn't necessarily the strongest team, but it, it's going to be certainly interesting to see where he kind of tracks the next couple of years. It could be a long development. Who knows? Maybe the, some of the tools come unlocked as he gets to the pro levels, gets the AHL or something. But at the end of the day, there just isn't really much of an NHL prospect here with him. All right, we can finish up the episode there, though. I'm very happy with this one. We talked about the OHL Cup, covered the OHL playoffs. Uh, anything left from you, Brock? No, I mean, uh, let's see how the rest of these round one matchups shake out and whether your Spitfires can come back, Tony. It'll certainly be a journey if they do. The last time they did it was 2010 against these same Kitchen Rangers, as I mentioned earlier. So who knows? Maybe the magic is there. It uh, doesn't look good, though, but... Thank you all for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And uh, we appreciate you, and we'll see you next week.